Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. In today's world, it's not uncommon for businesses to have an entirely remote workforce spanning not just cities, but countries and even continents too. For the last two years, the COVID-19 pandemic has absolutely ravaged the way we do business. And we're now seeing people working from, you know, beach huts in Bali through to cramped kitchens in Sydney apartments. It really has kicked off this era of the global nomad. And while there are lots of perks for employees, Our latest guest shows you just how beneficial a global workforce can be for business too. Tim Burgess and his partner connected hundreds of businesses with thousands of workers across the world through their labor outsourcing business, Shield GEO, before selling it to one of the biggest players in the industry. Tim's passion for people really shines through, and I'm really pleased to have him here with us today. This is Tim Burgess. Hey, Tim, welcome to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Mate, I know we're going to um, get to talking around your company, Shield GEO, um, but just for the listeners, maybe I could um, get you to just give us a little bit of your background and kind of what led you to kind of getting into business. Sure. So uh, Shield GEO, the company that, that we sold, is an employer record service. Uh, so at the time that we sold, yeah, we had about 70 employees in something like 35 countries, give or take. And we were supporting uh, hundreds of clients. I think we had 900 odd uh, supported employees across sort of 50, 55 countries. So uh, employer record, we're a third party employer where companies wanted to hire somebody in a country, but they didn't have their own entity and they couldn't do it directly. Uh, then they could use us. Um, the business had been going for about seven years. And I founded it along with a guy, Duncan McIntosh, who I have known for a long time. And this is, I think, the third business that we've had together. Yeah, cool. And, and did you come from a background in kind of this outsourcing staffing world or was it, was it new to you? Yeah, uh, it, it was sort of um, connected. So uh, Duncan and I have another business, Contractor Taxation, which in fact we still have. And so we were running that uh, before Shield, and then sort of the, the that that's more uh, B to C, I guess. You know, individual contractors coming to us, uh, and then we started to see an opportunity to to become more B to B. And we initially tried to grow that service line from within uh, our business, and it it just didn't really fit. So we created a new uh, a new service line, and then it rapidly spun out into Shield. And then you know, once we saw 
um, the potential of it, uh, then we started yeah. to just devote all of our time basically to, to Shield. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'm always interested in, in what drives people to, to get into business. Um, you know, and I've interviewed a lot of different people and I hear some really kind of interesting stories, everything from, I was kind of just working for someone doing this stuff. So I and just started to do it myself and other people with these really interesting entrepreneurial families and whatever else. I'm, I'm just sort of curious, like, did, you know, you, you've run now multiple businesses. What do you think it was that led you to going down that path versus just the employee path? Uh, I'm not a good employee. Uh, and so I struggled to get a job coming out of university. Uh, and I, I, I started work as a recruiter. It was the only job I could get. And, and in fact, I got that job because I was interviewing for a job and the recruiter stopped the interview and said, I remember he said, where do you want to see yourself in five years? And I went, I, I got no idea. And, and he stopped. <laughs> yeah. He stopped. He said, look, this interview's over. You're not going to get this job. Never say that again. And then, you know, we got to talking and he explained what he did. And I said, well, that doesn't sound so hard. And, he, and so I ended up not working with them, but I, but I went into that area. Um, and then over the years, uh, I guess I always had uh, sort of curiosity about how businesses were run and, and what they were into. I was always going to my bosses for the few years that I was working for people and, and saying, like, you know, what about this? Have you thought about doing that? What about this other thing? And, and then in the end... Uh, and I was working mostly in sales, so I was pretty accustomed to risk and pretty accustomed to working, you know, very low base, high, like high commission percentage. I felt very confident of my ability to generate and support myself, generate income and support myself. And, uh, and I remember going to my boss at one stage and saying, here's a business opportunity that I can see within your business. Uh, do you want to do it? And he said, no. And, and I pestered him for a while and he said, no, no, no. And then I said, look, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it. Thinking like, you know, it's like a threat, like, come on, finally. And, and he went, no, I'm not going to do it. And I went, oh, I guess that means I've got to do it then. So <laughs> yeah. That, and that sort of spun me out. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so it was, you know, one of those warm landing positions where I sort of tapered down my work for him and, and started my own thing on the side. And, uh, and that was it from then on. Uh, that was sort of early 2000s. From then on, I've been in my business, except for a brief period when I came back to Australia and uh, got married and my income wasn't enough to support our plan. So I had to go get a job. I think I lasted 18 months uh, at that one yeah. before they uh, spat me out again. So. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's a very common theme with the guests on this show. <laughs> um, you know, I've had a few guys who sold their companies and girls, and then and in part of the deal, they've gone, listen, like to the buyers, you're saying you want me for amphibolities, but let me tell you, you really don't. <laughs> you know, like I'm not a great employee. I'm expensive, and I really don't do the work that you're buying. You know, the stuff you want is done by them. So, you know, it's um. And, and and I think to try trying to cage people who are fundamentally entrepreneurial, I mean, it just doesn't work, right? They're going to you know, want to rush off and do new things and, you know, scratch that itch, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think also, uh, particularly if you've had experiences in the sort of mainstream workplace, which weren't always great, and I think we all have. Uh, yeah. And that was a big motivator. Duncan and I talked about that a lot when we were starting Shield, and we realized that it was going to grow to more people. And so one of our initial conversations, or one of the things we talked about a lot was, 
you know, it's kind of like when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're like, I'm never going to parent like that. And the way they do, I'm going to let my kids watch TV and, blah, you know, like all the things you don't like, they're the things you sort of think you're going to frame around it. And so uh, that was a big part of our motivation. And so when you build a company like that, when you build it around what you want and what you don't want and, and sort of avoiding the things that, uh, that you think are, aren't good, it's very difficult to then imagine yourself going into a situation again where you don't have that because it's pretty good when you get it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and I think, you know, to, to simplify, I think you're talking about culture here, right? Like, you know, the kind of the way we do things around here. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you, you've obviously grown particularly Shield to a, a different kind of size. You know, I, I've found in my experience, both working for other people as well as my own company, where you have these kind of ideals around culture and the way you want to do things, but it can get a little bit harder as your businesses start to grow and, and you start to get more people and you need more structure and processes and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Did, did you ever find yourself going along that journey? And starting to go, well, hang on, like, geez, I, we've always kind of done it this way because that's kind of culturally how we love to do things. But we're finding, you know, where that size is putting pressure on you to maybe change that culture or to have to implement things that you didn't think you would have to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and actually, I think my view on it has changed a lot with time. So at the time when you're a startup, you know, handful of people and, and everywhere you look, there's stuff that's on fire. Uh, those sort of disconnections are really painful because you're like, this is one thing we thought we could take for granted, and uh, you know, and, and there's so much else that we need to uh, address. Um, and particularly because Duncan and I had a very long-standing uh, and strong sort of uh, work relationship and friendship. We even when we had conflict, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to have conflict and tension. Uh, we had that to sort of fall back on, which was really helpful. When we brought more people into the business, uh, then, you know, for some of them, they didn't innately sort of get it. And I think also we weren't very explicit about it early on. And we moved at about 20, 25 people to, uh, we had a couple of full starts and then we managed to articulate our values and, uh, and embed them. And probably about 25, 30 people, we did a lot of work from then on and it was Really, really powerful. You know, I remember before that reading people going on about values alignment and blah, 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 and thinking it all sounds a little bit, you know, too much to me. But the the change that it made in our business and and the the power that it gave us, the sort of strength it gave us was was unbelievable. Yeah. And so as we navigated those things, we realized there were only four things we cared about, and that was our values. You know, if it was important enough for us, we had to articulate it in our values. Everything else was up for grabs. So, you know, if you want to be an introvert or an extrovert, if you want to be, you know, uh, different types of personalities or different behaviors or backgrounds or uh, all those things, we, we really encourage that and we can benefit from that diversity. As long as we have those four things in common, then that, that becomes the sort of fabric that binds us all together through thick and thin. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's a really great insight. It's, yeah, I think you, you you do end up boiling down to a few things that you care most about, right? It's um, and after that, just kind of get out of people's way and let them do things, right? Yeah, well, and it means that, for example, when um, I remember one of the challenging times, I think probably everybody who owns a business experienced something similar when 
you know, last year around sort of March, April, May, when COVID was uh, flaring up. And, uh, and I was terrified, you know, at a personal level, scared and a business level, really worried. And we were trying to work out, you know, what, what would happen? What, what are, are we going to be able to stay in business? Are we going to have to, you know, make people redundant and all that sort of stuff? And, uh, and one of our values is, uh, is be human, sort of empathy. Uh, and so I was able to, uh, to call on that, you know, as a leader being uncertain about what's happening, I was able to say to the group, look, everybody here has empathy. You know, it's something that we filter for when you come in. It's something we encourage. And now is the time that we can, that we can utilize that, you know, let's support each other. And having, knowing what your strengths are and what you can tap into, particularly in those challenging moments was, um, I mean, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I'd even say like uh, understanding your weaknesses too. So, you know, when to go, do you know what, geez, I'm faced with this situation at the moment. And I know I don't usually handle this very well and I'm willing to be vulnerable enough to say, I, I actually might need some help here or I'm, you know, can I lean on you guys a little bit? Cause I don't know how to handle those situations. <laughs> like, um, you know, I think, I think that's as equally as important as knowing your strengths and how to play to it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, so two thoughts come to mind. One is I, I think, we're probably a bit overly vulnerable in our organization. So, you know, you have to be a little bit careful, I think, particularly as an owner uh, or as a leader in that uh, people don't exist as your, it's not like free therapy, you know. Um, and I think uh, uh, my friend Jennifer Kim has a, a saying, I'll get it wrong, but um, she's like a lot of early startups is founders working out their unresolved trauma on their employees, you know, like, <laughs> and that, that resonates a lot you know if you've got anger issues or if you can't take conflict or if you know if you're afraid to make difficult decisions or you're worried about finances or whatever then like the whole organization can can um be impacted by that uh yeah and um but then i think the other aspect of it is that um giving people uh, i think the opportunity to sort of express themselves within that context is is really powerful, and as that, that's one of the things that I think I've really benefited from as a, particularly as an owner. You know, I think as a leader you get this opportunity, but particularly as an owner, there's so much opportunity for growth. You know, uh, so much opportunity, so, so many instances where you're going to get tested, and uh, and you have to you have to rise to the challenge. You know, you have, you find out what you're made of and and what's important to you, uh, and it's a wonderful opportunity if uh yeah if you view it that way yeah and, and you're willing to embrace it yeah yeah um you, you mentioned the word conflict before and i'm and i'm like to sort of explore that a little bit because it's you know to me i think co conflict certainly healthy conflict is usually a great catalyst for change and and all this sort of stuff as well but it's um so it's, it's not something we should avoid in our lives but it's like anything. I think it's it's not what you do; it's how you do it. <laughs> um, but when you say conflict, I, I'm always interested because you know, if we go back to the beginning, um, your business partner Duncan, you, you know, you said he was a good mate before you, and so you know, you, you came into this as friends, and then you got into business together. And so, I just if we can explore that a little bit, because I I've, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with this stuff. <laughs> you know, I've seen great mates torn apart i've seen great mates you know whose entire business world could have fallen apart if but it didn't because of their friendship that kind of helped them navigate and um d did it concern you going into business with a friend 
Not at all. No, no, not going in. Um, I mean, so we'd had a business, two, two businesses actually before, uh, and, and um, you know, I figure if you're going to go through difficulty, why not be with someone who you like, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> indeed. And um, and I think, you know, of those sort of stories you, you told, uh, there, were, there were times where, um, you know, I think it helped me, uh, I don't want to talk for him, but it helped me knowing that uh, that I valued the friendship very strongly, and yep. and so I was prepared to make the work. You know, there were times I was prepared to make concessions. Uh, there were times I was prepared to step back. Not, you know, I'm pretty stubborn. Not all the time, but uh, maybe maybe not often. But um, knowing that there's sort of a that there's a bigger picture uh, and that there's things that are more important, I think is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great um, point. I've, I've certainly been in some business ventures with some friends in the past and not necessarily major as in like I, I'm all in and my house is on the line. Um, that sort of pressure can certainly change dynamics as well. But, you know, I think we, I've certainly always had discussions with mates when we've done stuff that, hey, you know, our friendship comes first here. And if we find ourselves in a position where we feel like that's being compromised, let's all agree to stop and, and completely reassess. Um Having said all that, um, can I ask, did you guys have a discussion around, did you have any sort of shareholders agreement or, or anything like that that talked about how you would manage conflict? Uh, we eventually put a shareholders agreement in after we'd been running the business for like three years. And and bearing yep. in mind, you know, we'd been in business together for a long time before that. But otherwise, yeah. it was always just equally split. Right? So it was 50-50 uh, in terms of ownership. Uh, contracted taxation was the same. Um, and so that means we have to find a resolution, uh, which I think is, is better. Um, and and that, that's, I think, one of the difficulties that we have in, as human beings, and particularly in business, is we want things to be easy. And to an extent, you know, it's necessary. You want your business to be easy and simple. Uh, but that doesn't help when we're facing complicated situations, and particularly conflict. And one of the difficulties there is, can we sort of stand in the middle of conflict and can we understand that you can be right and they can be right at the same time? And yep. so that was a big learning for us was Duncan was driving sales and I was driving operations. And there was a period in our business where I was like, this guy is just making my life hell. Like, <laughs> is he doing it deliberately? It's, it's just killing me with this stuff. Keeps agreeing to stuff with customers. I don't want to fulfill it. It's a nightmare. Uh, and then, you know, we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And eventually, uh, and a lot of it was that situation where, you know, you're sort of at loggerheads and then one person gives a little bit of ground and then everybody tries to give so much ground and then, uh, and then it all untangles. And eventually we came to the understanding that like sales and operations were just like, they were pulling in different directions. Like there's always going to be tension between those functions because operations wants it to be easy and consistent. And sales wants to make as much money as they can. They want to hit the revenue targets. And once we started to view it that way, uh, it helped us and it really helped the organization below because, you know, then we just started to say, look, there's going to be difficulty here. It's going to be, it's going to be, uh, we're going to be in situations which are going to be difficult and everyone's going to have to give a little bit and understand what's happening at the other, you know, for the other people involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a great perspective. Um, 
Out of interest, did you guys, um, you know, and, and um, before I get to that point, it, it just, I guess, confirming what you said there, I mean, you, you know, you talked about the shareholders agreement after about three years. I find that's actually quite common. I mean, I think most people start a business and they go, well, it's, it's nothing at the moment. It's worth nothing. Like, we're having a go at something. It's an idea. Um, and so I think these, the idea of shareholders agreements and stuff start to come in when the business starts to actually do something <laughs> and people go actually wow there's actually there's an asset here and oh wow that's growing and we're going to have more complexity um going forward so therefore and and i and i think sometimes this is even more of a human element rather than this oh wise business guy you know it's a i think human nature is as things get more complex we find try to find ways to simplify it and to control it and yeah. and i think that that's where the shareholders agreement often comes into play um but um, but anyway, yeah. Look, I so, so I completely understand where where you're coming from. Well, and also um, things like uh, what happens if I get sick? What happens if I want to get out? You know, when, when it's nothing, it doesn't matter. Like I want to get out. We're not doing anything anyway. I can leave. But when you've got like ten people and you know, and it's pulling in a couple hundred grand a month or whatever, like at that point, uh, you're thinking, well, if I got sick, uh, I'm relying on this income now. Like, how how's that going to work? And so I think. Having clarity around those sort of things is really helpful. But to your point, uh, at the beginning, um, I see a lot of people where they're like, oh, they want to do a 60-40 split and I want 65-35 or whatever. You know, and at that time, you can, you can just waste a lot of energy and also kill a lot of the like, um, engagement and, and momentum and, and vibe you know, if you spend too much time squabbling over stuff that may or may not actually end up being worth something. Uh, there's probably like a nice tipping point where things things should be a bit more grown up. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that makes sense. And I think if you've got the sort of foresight to have a, at least an early discussion go with, with the, your potential partners and say, hey, listen, at some point if this thing takes off, we're going to need to probably put more structure around this. And why don't we just agree that like we're all going to go out there and do our very best. And if we get to a million bucks in revenue that we probably should – use that as a line in the sand to say, well, let's sit down and assess where we're at and where we're going. And, and at least we've all agreed that there's a, a checkpoint. Let's check in with each other, you know? And, yeah. um, you know, I think, I think like anything, probably communication here is actually, there's no right or wrong way of doing it, but as long as you're communicating with each other, you're probably going to turn out okay. Well, and that's a really great, that's a really great point is, you know, instead of spending time at the beginning thinking about uh, shareholder agreements and what happens uh, if the worst happens, Talking about values, communication, you know, working styles is something that people don't, I think, do enough. And, you know, knowing that, hey, if I'm under stress, I'm going to go, I'm going to go quiet. Or, uh, you know, if I'm really upset, I'm going to flush red and you're going to see, like, explaining those sort of things to people means that you're, uh, you're setting yourself up so much better to, to have success and to navigate the inevitable bumps in the road. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. It's it, they are inevitable bumps. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be nice if business was a straight line, right? As well, like you know, between points A and B. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it never does happen. Um, out of interest, I mean, did you did you guys have any? Was there any discussion in the early days around where you thought this business might go? Like, was it a was there a you know the the fabled exit plan discussion? You know, hey, do you know we think we can build this and sell it, or just was it a, we've got a bit of an idea, let's have a crack? Uh, so 
I'm, I'm very much not a planner. And one of the reasons why I'm not a planner is because I, uh, you know, I hate failing at things. Uh, and also, like, my plans just never, ever come to, uh, to fruition. But on this one point, when we were uh, incorporating the company and opening the bank accounts, we did it in Hong Kong. And, uh, and so Duncan and I were in a, um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a Yum Chai restaurant. It's down by the harbour. We're sitting in this beautiful dining room looking out over Hong Kong harbour, uh, food coming on the trolleys. And, uh, and we wrote down on a napkin, thousand uh, employees, you know, uh, this much per month per employee, this is the number, that's what it would mean. Okay, if we can get to that point, we're really happy. And, We've made uh, it. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, uh, and, and we thought it would happen in like, I can't remember how long, seven years I think we said it was going to happen, five years, seven years, I can't remember. Uh, you know, we just got to like just add this many employees a month and if it compounds, blah, 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 we'll get there. And we actually ended up, getting like we sort of outperformed that um financially but we got about you know we're getting close to that number in terms of the number of uh of employees we were supporting and and that's just wild to me that like you know yeah top of the like just off the cuff just writing it down it actually ended up coming somewhat to fruition but it was it was a good exercise because uh it did give us you know it it was a fantastic feeling as we started to to close in on it yeah, no, that's that's cool. I mean, it's, I, I've done plenty of those back of the napkin uh, plans, <laughs> and I think I've had plenty of them that you know don't survive the first day of business, you know. But um, but that's awesome that you you managed to to achieve that. I mean, I think there's you know having the bravery, I think, to go into business for yourself and and take on risk, and and I think it's really facing uncertainty. That's that's actually the brave part is is not knowing how things are going to land and being willing to doing do it anyway. But I also know that feeling of wow, we're actually making traction here, and it's you know that it's it's a wonderfully exciting feeling to you know make that kind of progress and feel like you you're moving somewhere. So, um, oh yeah, for sure. And I should point out, like, also we thought we were going to create that thing basically just with the two of us. We didn't think we needed anyone else, and we ended up with seventy employees. So it wasn't numbers weren't all accurate. <laughs> but um, but you I think that something that was always very, very motivating for me was that sense of self-sufficiency. Uh, you know, just being in a micro business, uh, just like one person or two people, you have that wonderful sense of, uh, of being reliant on yourself. And, and that's a terrific feeling. And then as our business grew and we brought more people into it, the feeling of, um, of providing people with a livelihood uh, and a good job, uh, that's a really... Yeah, that's an amazing feeling if if you're lucky enough to to be in that position. Yeah, did you ever have the experience of, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've certainly found myself. I've go to you know you hire somebody and then you think, okay, well, I've got to hand over this task. And in some ways, I've in certain situations I've struggled to let go because I keep thinking, well, hang on, you know, I can do this or I could do it a bit better or I keep feeling like I've got to put my view on it, you know, and but then eventually letting it go and realizing that person does it better than I do. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it's letting go of your Legos. There's a, there's a whole um, Silicon Valley sort of uh, tech meme about it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I had that feeling, particularly on the operations side, you know, in the beginning it was just me. 
And uh, every job that I did, I got to a point of being uh, semi-competent. But yep. uh, And then we'd hire someone who actually it was their job and all of a sudden it started to go better. Uh, yep. and even Actually, it's not just me because Duncan was doing sales and then when we hired a salesperson, sales went through the roof and so looks like he wasn't doing such a great job either. But uh, <laughs> it's a very weird feeling because on the one hand, you're um, you're doing something and, and you generally like you're learning it as you go. And then you go, oh, okay, I can do this a little bit. And it starts to help the business. So you think, oh, maybe it's not going so badly. And then just when you start getting comfortable, you got to give it up and then go and suck at something else only in order to <laughs> yeah. get semi-decent at that and then get fired again. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. I guess I guess if you get the opportunity to fire yourself on various jobs, though, you're probably doing all right. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's weird because some of those jobs, are, you know, some of them you're happy to get rid of and you can't wait, and then there's others of them actually that you really quite enjoy. And and also, you know, going back to that idea of sort of simplicity or comfort, uh, it it can be nice sometimes to just you know you hit the bar and the pellet comes out and you get the pellet and when you're doing a job that you've been doing for ages that's what it's like and yet particularly in that sort of founder startup environment uh there's always a new job so um so you rarely get that comfort uh and the particularly as you start to move from into individual contributor to manager and then manager of managers the um that experience of hitting the bar and getting the pellet goes away because you're not like the stuff that you're doing doesn't have any sort of immediate reward. It it might pay off months or years later. It, so it, yeah, it's a very big adjustment. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, you know, we're all different personality types, of course, and it's not everybody makes that transition very well. Um, you know, and I've, I've had numerous clients who have come to us to talk about succession planning because, um, I'm thinking of one chap in particular at the moment who um, they're in the sort of audio visual world. And he said, Mate, he goes, I, I just, I need to hire a CEO. He goes, I'm not a CEO. I don't want to do all this management stuff. He goes, I'm a nerd. I want to play with my equipment and kind of nerd out with my clients and have some fun. Like he goes, that's, that's me. That's, you know, and, and one thing I'll say about that client was it was, fabulous just to you know i mean i guess he's making himself vulnerable there and admitting that he doesn't have strength to do the job he was in but you know just also having the emotional intelligence to say you know what like i'm not good at that i'm just other people could do that much better i'm just going to go back over here and actually go back to what i was doing um and so i think yeah i think that's that's i think that's a wonderful thing i i, I love meeting people like that because they're they're usually quite interesting as well as you know being good at what they do yeah, and, and I guess it so it comes back to that idea of of being tested. You know, you are gonna you are gonna get tested in those capacities. And uh it doesn't mean you have to succeed. Um and yeah, so it's it's that's that is a very interesting point because you know, our mutual friend uh Gina is like a thousand times the manager and people leader that that I am. Uh, and yet that was something that I dearly held on to and I really enjoyed doing. Not that I was necessarily that good at it, but I found it very rewarding for myself. Uh, and so sometimes that's bittersweet, you know, where you you give it up, you see it being done heaps better, uh, yeah. which is like getting a bad performance review. <laughs> 
but it's better for the business. Yeah, yeah. And and there is a joy still though, isn't there? Like, you know, when you see somebody really not just doing it better than you, but they're enjoying themselves because and that's why they're probably better at it, because they probably enjoy it more than you do, you know. But I, I actually get a lot of enjoyment out of that. I love seeing people fulfilling their purpose and being really good at what they do. And I think and if that makes them a lot better than me as well, wow, like what a win, right? It's um I mean, I certainly don't feel like I need to be the expert at everything. I just um, you know, we've certainly, and we've got people in our team who are already doing this, right? Who I go, wow, you are so much better at that than I was. <laughs> and, and lovely to see it and experience it almost through their shoes too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think where it gets most difficult is where, um, you know, where there are times where you're not ready to give it up for whatever reason you know and, and i'm thinking yeah. particularly around uh you know there's things around the direction of the business around strategy uh around culture where uh we didn't have a lot of this but it, it sort of came came a bit at the edges and, and i've seen it happen to other people where they're getting pushed to shift on those things before they're ready and and as an owner uh that's a pretty big schism yeah, it, look, indeed, and it's and it's probably a good segue. I mean, it's it is something that business owners a lot really struggle with that when they're going through some form of exit, um, and and I think it's yeah. I mean, look, uh, you, you see a big range of reactions to that kind of scenario. Um, ca- can I ask you? So, you, you wh- how far into the business were you when you had your first? sort of discussion, I guess, with you and Duncan about potentially selling the business? I mean, we talked about it very, very early on, but just, you know, like at some point, like we could do this, we could sell it. Uh, And then it was sort of heads down for uh, maybe four or five years. Uh, And we never went out into the market really. Um, We we, Every now and then, you know, we'd get together and talk about like – what might what it might end up who who would ever be potentially interested in buying it what you know what's it going to look like in five years or ten years do we want to do this forever generally it was about that like how much longer do we think we can keep going and if we don't want to keep going what's the alternative what what can we do about that um and and so sometimes that was in those periods where you're like i just can't take another day of this I, i i just want to want to get out uh, and other times, I think it was probably more in that sort of positive, like you know, the market seems to be going really well, and where do we think it might it might place us? But it didn't seriously happen until uh, until Ben, the um, Velocity Global CEO, who, who ended up buying us, uh, until he sort of escalated those discussions. Yeah. Now, out of interest, um, you knew Ben before he made an approach on the business. Is that right? Yeah, so before he even founded his business, uh, we had had some business uh, interaction in our in our old business with him, and then he left that business and then sat out for a period of time until he set up his his own business. And so we were chatting to him during that time. We uh, we helped a little bit in terms of um, helping him meet some partners, and we we did a bit of sharing of information back in those days when he set up. So. There was always a sort of a friendliness there, and um, and then we chatted on and off, particularly he and Duncan uh, more than he and I. But you know, we chatted 
on and off over the years. You know, it's a pretty lonely deal and a pretty small industry. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have sort of uh, friendly competitors. Yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the, the right kind of competitors in my, I've always found are the ones who don't feel like they need to aggressively compete against you. They kind of believe that the world's a pretty large, abundant place and, you know, you, you know we, we can actually be friendly and we can actually engage in very, very civil terms and be nice with each other, enjoy each other's company. So, yeah, it's, um, I, I think to have that is, is certainly a, a privilege. Um, can I ask, when it came to sort of selling discussions um, or buying, I guess, from Ben's perspective, did did you got did you guys approach him? Did he approach you? What? How did that sort of all come about? Well, he approached us. So he he um, he talked about various ways that we might be able to sort of partner, or I think even merge at one point. And it just never sort of made sense to us. We were doing fine. The market was carrying us, carrying us along well. Uh, we were growing nicely. We didn't really see any benefit. Um, and so that happened, I don't know, every six to 12 months, I guess, for a couple of years. And then last year at the beginning of sort of around that COVID time, very, very cleverly, I think he, he, they sort of reached out and went, hey, you guys, would you guys be interested in selling and what, like, what might interest you? And I think, you know, the combination of the uncertainty uh, around what was happening and, uh, and Duncan was always a bit more open to the idea of selling than I was. Uh, he, um, we, we said, look, let's just, let's just talk to him and just like at least see, what, see what's out there. It would be nice to know what's out there. Uh, and then we just sort of, yeah, sort of organically worked our way from there. We, we had some discussions. It was pretty clear that what we wanted, they weren't able to do at that point. Uh, and then, so it went quiet. And then they came back towards the end of last year and said, hey, you know, you guys said you wanted this. Uh, we can we can do it now. So let's let's start talking again. And uh, yeah. And so then they they had some private equity involved. So they had some funding coming in. They were on an acquisition spree. And um, yeah, and then the timing sort of lined up. Yeah, right place, right time. Um, when you came up with your number, without getting into the nitty gritty, did did you kind of how did you come up with your number? Did you know? Did you just use a simple formula? Did you think about all your years? How, was there a kind of general? Can you give me give some give us some insight into how you came up with your number? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's impossible for, to start with, but uh, you know, so we looked at like what's our turnover, what's our profitability, what sort of multiples do we think are possible. Uh, the our area had started to get um, a lot more attention. A couple of venture capital firms had come in and backed startups. Uh, private equity was sniffing around, so. We got a lot of opportunities to chat to them and get a sense for what they, uh, you know, that sort of gives you, they start talking about things like, you know, if you get to this and this number, then we would generally look to invest at this sort of rate and this sort of multiple and so on. So, and, so when you say that, just, just, just a, just a, won't, won't go, you know, pick it apart too hard here, but I just, you know, when you say this, get to this and get to that. So in my experience, and please tell me if you, you're talking about something different here, but in my experience, I've seen investors say, 
um, you know, there might be thresholds like we want you to get to at least 10 mil turnover or 5 mil turnover, or we want you to be at a million EBITDA or stuff. Is that the kind of thresholds yeah. and stuff you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so w- there were things around, um, uh, I mean, we use slightly different terminology to, than they would, but, and, and in our business, because we're processing payroll, turnover is, is just a vanity metric. You know, by the yeah. end, we were doing, Almost 100 million bucks in turnover. I think over, but like we're seeing very little of it because it's just going to the salaries yeah. of the people we're paying. It's passed through, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you know all the employers, social security, and all that stuff as well. Uh, so, but then there was uh, so gross profit, which was effectively how much we were charging. Uh, and so I think they wanted that number. The private equity firms wanted that number to get to 10 mil. Yeah. And, and, and so just, just to help me under, understanding this space, and for those who maybe aren't as familiar with outsourcing as well, like, won't go into exact percentages, but, but typically I, I would imagine gross profit in a company like this is fairly low because you're charging a higher la- amount of money for people's salaries. You pay those salaries, which is going to be the bulk of those payments, leaving a, a slimmer gross margin. Is that, is that kind of a fair yeah. comment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's very much an industry in flux from that perspective because you know, uh, there's companies that charge a percentage. Uh, and so they might charge, you know, 10, 15, 20% of whatever the employer's cost is. We always charge a fixed margin, although to be honest, it worked out to be not that dissimilar from charging a percentage. And then as the VC backed firms came in, then they started to compete very aggressively on price and their pricing models just don't make any sense uh, yeah. to me. So yeah. I, like, I don't know how sustainable they are. I guess it all depends on market share. But, and, and so this was sort of before, I guess, you know, we were talking private equity firms before that sort of influence had really come in. But they're just in general, they were saying, you know, 10 million turnover, uh, EBITDA of about a mil, I think, or I think it was about a mil. And then they wanted to see certain sort of growth projections. Uh, yep. And on that basis, they would give a multiple of something like seven to ten, I think. Yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's nice. That uh, I know plotting of industries that would um, would jump through a few hoops for a seven to ten multiple. Um, <laughs> so, it's, uh... well, we were very lucky to be in a space that um, you know when we started the business, there were maybe four or five companies of any size doing what we're doing globally. Um, yeah. And you know now there's. I don't know, 2025 or something. Uh, yeah. But we were there pretty early on. And and uh, so we we're quite lucky to sort of get, get carried along by that. You know, I think we did good work, yeah. but the market was exploding. And then with um, uh, COVID and the uh, increase in remote work and now all the interest in work from anywhere, like it, it yep. was just a good space to be in. Beautiful timing, yeah. And I think to be an early mover in that market, you know, just it does give you a significant advantage. It's, you know, private equity, these sort of larger investors that come in are looking usually for um, for a, a platform investment, you know, like, hey, we're going to move into this space. Let's find the one company that we will build upon. Um, and so that that often makes it quite appealing. And throw throw that in with the overall timing of of what's going on in M and A now, and has been for the last year, and will be for the next year or so. You know, there's so much money in the economy. There's l- super low interest rates, lots of money looking for a home, uh, big global shifts, and you know, in workplaces and social trends happening. It, timing right now for deals like this is actually quite wonderful. And so, 
you know, certainly we we are seeing a bit of an uptick in some multiples as well, which um, which I don't think will be there forever. So you know, ultimately, I guess the the, the message of all the, the the lesson out of all this is that you know sometimes the timing of the market is even more important than your own timing in your business and how you where you feel you're at with things. Yeah, and that, so that's a really interesting uh, road to go down. If we can pull on that thread for a little bit, um, one of the things that I noticed as we grew the business was very much around that the idea that uh, the market has its own sort of designs. And my friend Peldy, who, um, who runs Balsamic, uh, he, he wanted to cap his company at like just him. He just wanted it to just be him. And then he grew to like 12 employees. He's like, that's it, 12, that's it. I'm not having any more. And then they got to like 25 and he's like, 25, I hate it, too many people. But okay, we're going to deal with 25. And, uh, and then over time, he, he started to talk about uh, it not really being in his hands, but the you know, you exist in a in an ecosystem where your clients have certain needs and, and requirements and the market itself will only provide a certain amount of space for you. But you have to sort of, you have to fill that space. Uh, and then your employees, you know, they're also involved in this. You know, they have their own sort of needs and desires around, around the sort of company they're going to work, work in and the size of it. And so... Uh, it's interesting. That was an interesting way for me to think about it in that because we had the similar thing. You know, we, we didn't want to create a, a company with a whole lot of people. But over time, we just started to accept that for a services business, we're in a growing market. I think 60, it was coming on to 70% of our growth was uh, from existing customers uh, towards the end. So, um, so what, what can we do? You can't go to customers and say, hey, you, you like using our service, but that's it. We don't want to. You know, we're not going to yeah. go 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 to someone else. We've hit our, our mental threshold. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just because I don't want, I don't want, it. I don't want. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so, so that was a really interesting way to think about about being in the business. You know, that we're trying to find our sort of natural space and then inhabit it. And if you can get into that, then it's almost like that flow state because you're not trying to grow where growth isn't possible. You're not trying to, uh, you're not trying to fight like what the market is sort of dictating. And I think it's a similar thing around, um, around selling uh, and also a similar thing around, around pricing, you know, to, to come back to the question of how do you come up with a price? Like, you know, the truism, you're only worth what someone's going to pay for you. You know, we talked about that a lot. Uh, the, the opportunity that was in the market, and we knew that for some companies, our valuation was going to be very different for others. So, for example, there were a couple of companies that had built out infrastructure that we hadn't. And so our business, if it was transferred onto their infrastructure, would be dramatically more profitable. So they were natural uh, natural benefactors and Velocity Global being one of those. Uh, and then there were sort of, you know, companies like uh, private equity companies where they were, you know, maybe they're trying to get into a particular space. They're trying to pad out their portfolio or whatever. Uh, you know, you might experience greater affinity with those firms than not. Uh, yep. To be honest, we didn't do a huge amount with all of them, but but that helped us sort of get a sense for what might be possible. And then we started to talk more about, um, for us, it became a pretty simple discussion that we have something that we're pretty happy to keep going. 
yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard, and then the future is always uncertain. And you know, we were going to come into some new uh, challenges in the market. We had some big things that we needed to accomplish, but we were confident that we could do those. Versus not having to do any of that stuff and, and getting an exit. Like, yeah, it's a very different. It's a very different um, evaluation, I think, than going. You know, we've got. A, B, and C, all of whom are trying to buy us, and we only want to sell, so which one of those are we going to choose? Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, having the amount of money being of a size that you you don't have to go out the next day and go get a job, too, right? I mean, there's got to be a financial element of, well, there's free, there is a sense of freedom that comes with this path um, and not having to do that work. Um so, but you know that I find it interesting that strategic lever that you talked about, and and I know you and I spoke offline before, but it's you know you clearly there was an elements in Ben's business that when he brought your business in, he could just you know blow it up and 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 kind of realize some value that you couldn't perhaps capture immediately uh, at the time. I'm I'm curious because not everybody going into a deal can uncover this wonderful point of you know, strategic leverage. And certainly I don't think buyers necessarily advertise it because they don't want to give you ideas that your business is worth more. <laughs> um, d- that level of knowledge, I'm just curious, ha- did you have a greater understanding of that because of your personal relationship with Ben or the fact that you'd known him in the past? Or do you think that would have come out in the discussions anyway? Uh, I think we we knew um, because, I mean, we... I don't think it was so much personal because because some of the other sort of leading players had had done similar stuff, sure. Uh, and and we knew that was our pathway. Yep. Going, to, we hadn't really realized how big a mistake it was to not do it. So yep. basically, what we're talking about is is setting up our own entities in each country instead of using partners. So we were using partners, and we would pay those partners. Uh, and uh, and and I. Like, there's a lot of reasons why we loved using partners, like great people, ran really great businesses that really, uh, really helped us a lot on the way and solved a lot of problems for us. And we're just a pleasure to deal with. Uh, and so, you know, replacing them just in order to make more money, um, it was a bit of a bittersweet pill and, and also like yeah. super hard. Uh, yeah. If we really wanted to set up like, 20 different companies or 35 different companies in different countries like we would have been doing it from the beginning but we we're always sort of shying away from it because it's hard it's risky it comes with a lot of overhead uh but going th- when we started going through the sale process and we started to like one of the things we tried to work out was what's this worth to them yep uh because if there is a scenario where someone could have come to us and said we have this financial goal and so we're going to do this, this and this and part of it would be to get you guys involved because if you, we get you guys involved then we can you know, get a bigger multiple or we can get this other thing involved or we can get this investor or whatever. They didn't want to do that because they, they had their own plan and you know, we were just a, a, like a bit player uh, in their big play. Um, but we tried to flesh that out. Yeah. And in doing that, you know, we actually realized and we realized like, oh, if we didn't have to pay these service providers, if all that money was coming in our pocket, our business suddenly looks like this. So that's what we're worth to these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then that also meant 
that we used it as a, we could use it as a bargaining chip because we could go, well, if we don't sell, all we've got to do is this, this, and this, yep. and then we're going to be worth this much more because that's all you're going to do with us anyway. And then yep. they used it as a reverse bargaining chip because they said, <laughs> well, we've done that and we know how painful it is and I don't think you want to do it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's all part of the fun. It's all part of the dance. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I can I be cheeky? You know, without obviously revealing anything, you know, too confidential. Can you can you give us a sense of what the business sold for? So we got into the uh, seven figures. Seven? seven figures. Yeah. So sub sub ten mil or over ten no. mil. Over 10 mil. Sorry, is that okay. eight figures? Eight figures. I, knew, yeah, yeah. I told eight you beforehand, I, can't, I don't know which, <laughs> how many numbers are in the number. Uh, yeah, so, um, and then we got a good multiple. Uh, yeah. So we outperformed the multiple that we were expecting because of, uh, because of that, because we had a unique value. Um, and yeah. I think one of, the, uh, one of the benefits that we had was because we had that relationship with Ben, because he'd known us for a long time, we, you know, We'd seen each other operate. We'd, I guess, competed against each other. We had similar, we had the same partners. Uh, you know, you hear stories. Uh, and so, uh, and also sometimes, you know, when we'd ha- face difficulties or when he'd face difficulties, you know, we'd got together and chatted about it. Like, there's this thing happening in Mexico. How are you guys dealing with it? How are we dealing with it? Yeah. Uh, and so he had a lot of confidence, I think, in terms of the, um, sort of character and quality of, of the people that were coming on board. Yeah. And I'd like to think that's, you know, that's carried across because he certainly seems happy with how it's played out. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, you remind me of a, another guest I had on the show, um, lovely, lovely chap, um, Pete Martin, who's based in the US, um, had a, fundamentally, it was a service-based business, um, ultimately sold to KPMG. But what he did is, you know, you, how do you get to know personally KPMG? I mean, it's so large, right? Um, but what he did do is he, over the years leading up to his exit, he actually cozied up to them. He had, a, he had a sense that they would make a great acquirer. And so he actually cozied up to them and started doing a lot of projects and work with them. And after a while, it just got to the point, and it sounds like you had a similar thing with Ben, where they just, you guys could see, everybody could see the obvious synergy. And so in the end, it sort of, by the time they came to having the discussions, it wasn't like he didn't need to convince them of the idea. They all just went, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. Well, if you're open to talking, let's talk. Um, and it kind of just evolved. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably how it looked more from Ben's side because he, I think he always had the vision of bringing, bringing like us and, and multiple companies together. Uh, from our side, certainly there was that familiarity. Um, and, and that's something that... Uh, over time, I got more into uh, Duncan was always pretty good at this as well. But like basically, you know, we would talk to anyone. Yep. And so whenever any of these new, like, you know, new people came into the market and they were trying to work out like what they're trying to do or, you know, like I would always chat to them, uh, you know, wish them well, give them a little bit of, you know, give them a little bit of advice if they wanted it, not trying to give away like the family secrets or whatever. but. Uh, I think, um, you know, one of the things you said before, like we, we were in a growing market uh, and we we're also confident that we owned our space. Yep. Um, and so not everybody has that opportunity. You know, I think if you're probably like uh, Pizza Hut and Domino's and you're in a fight to the death, you know, maybe, maybe there's not space to be sort of friendly there. But within our, you know, we we're in a bigger space. 
and we didn't want to we didn't want to own the whole thing we were happy to just have our part and so in that context like i was pretty happy to talk to anybody because i didn't think anyone was really going to come and try and take our spot yep and you know if they did good luck i figured we could compete pretty yep. well because like we knew it if the, if it was that easy they'd already be doing it right so <laughs> Yeah, and that, so that was one of the things that we certainly noticed was like, particularly like the VC companies, they have such a short timeline and agenda. They have to, they, they have to be dramatically more aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and so they're very, on the one hand, they have great opportunity because they've got all this cash, but on the other hand, like they're, they're quite constrained in terms of what they can and can't do. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, I think once you start to, pencil all that in that's when you sort of get the sense that, okay there is a market but like that space is only going to be for those sort of companies and this space is more for these ones and and so on. It's, yeah i always found that quite comforting having that sense yeah. that we had a patch yeah yeah no that's um some great advice um you know tim i could talk to you about this stuff all day um <laughs> I'm, I'm cognizant of time but um I I would love to ask you if if maybe there's one or two tips that you'd might share with your sort of fellow entrepreneurs who are maybe a little bit earlier in their journey and you know not sure if they're going to exit or you know growth and all that sort of stuff. So, um, but before I do that, um, are, are you happy if people reach out and want to connect and you know oh, yeah. touch bases sometime some stage? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I'm about to have a lot of time on my hands. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm always, but I'm always happy to happy to chat to people. In fact, that was one of the uh, one of the best things I did in the last couple of years was um, uh, I you know just tried to chat to as many people as I could. Uh, yeah, and, and if anyone ever wanted to talk about something, I would, I would always have a conversation with them. And uh, that's that really uh, improved my enjoyment of, of of the business and and of life in general. Yeah. So, yeah, if anyone wants to chat, I'm more than happy to do that. No, that's and, cool. Well, look, I'll uh, um, yeah, LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. LinkedIn's probably yep. a good place. They're pretty easy to find on there. Yeah, cool. Well, look, we'll we'll share your LinkedIn um, the the link to your to your profile in, in the show notes for this, so people can access it. Um, guys, if you reach out to um, Tim, please maybe just put a little note there that you heard him on the podcast, so he actually has some a little bit of context as to to maybe why or where you're reaching out from, but. Um, um, Tim, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you today. I'm, I'm super grateful of you sharing your story with us and just talking through some of this stuff. I, I know I got a lot out of it, so I'm sure you know our listeners will as well. Um, is, is there, uh, is there one perhaps uh, parting tip or piece of advice you'd, you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, I think our sort of exit story is probably a little bit unique. Uh, to, you know, I, I haven't spoken to a lot of other people who've had. That exact sort of experience, you know, where they were sort of 50-50, founders with someone they knew well, sold to somebody they knew pretty well, uh, and, all, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I feel very charmed in that respect. But the thing I think that made the biggest, two things made the biggest difference for me. Uh, one was, you know, in all that agonizing around valuations and everything else, coming to the idea of what's enough for me, you know, and to, to your point, like, we were able to get to a number where I could say, I can buy a better house if I want to. I'm going to be able to send my kids to the school that they want. I'm not going to have to work again if I don't want to. Uh, all, all of these things that were important to me, I could see a life that I could create that I would be happy based on that. And so that was really important because from that moment on, uh, you know, that was sort of the baseline in terms of one, where I wanted to get to. And then the other 
real uh, trigger for me uh, was uh, Duncan, and you know he knows me very well. I, I wavered at one point, and I remember I, I I messaged him and I said, "Look, I think we can get to the same amount or better, and it'll only take us like three years. So wh- what are we doing? Why why would we sell? Why don't we why don't we keep going? I think I think I want to keep going." And uh, and he said to me, "Well, we could. I agree, we could, or." You could do whatever you want for the next three years and take the money now. And uh, that was a very convincing argument. Um, <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that we forget. You know, we get so caught up in, in the money and everything else, but time is the thing that you never get back. And particularly, you know, some of what we were talking about before, like the, the amount of time we get around our families, the amount of time we get for holidays, the amount of time we get with our kids yeah. and our partners and quality time. Uh, is so uh, ephemeral, you know, just slips through your fingers. So the idea that I was able to exchange our sort of success and, and so on in order to create time, which is a uh, now that that's that's that, that's a great way to think about it. And so I think um, those two things, you know, finding out th- thinking about what's going to be enough for you, and then trying to hold that in your head, uh, and then also trying to think about that sort of totality of what it means because some of those things I think we just sort of take for granted. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just amazing advice, Tim. I think, you know, really, really cuts through. It's, um, you know, and if you are listening to this and you're not sure how to work out your number, you know, please reach out to us. We've got a really great process we can help you with to help you kind of work out what's a, what's a real number for me as an individual. And so, you know, it's an exercise really worth doing so that, you know, if you do have, uh, you know, somebody like a Ben knock on your door, you know, you, you kind of know where you're at. And I think it takes some of the emotion out of, of it because you just, you're comfortable in not just who you are, but what you want out of any situation. So, um, Tim, Thanks so much again for coming on the show, mate. I really, really enjoyed chatting to you. Really enjoyed your company. And, um, mate, I'm, I'm pretty sure we need to catch up for a beer sometime in the new year. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. And thank, thank you very much. Uh, it was a great conversation. Great, great questions. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. You know, you don't get to talk about this stuff all that often. So, uh, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. My pleasure indeed. Thanks for coming on the show. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.